welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Our show is produced by Algman Business Media, where we make having your own podcast as easy as joining a video call and sending an email. At Algman Business Media, the stage is yours. Learn more at algman.com. Today on Data Leadership Lessons, we welcome Jim Barnish. Jim has spent the last two decades as a serial entrepreneur, operator, investor, and M&A expert. He now runs Orchid Black, a boutique growth services firm complete with former CEOs, CXOs, and strategy consultants. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. Super excited to talk data and leadership. Awesome. So I and, and we had a great call on our on our prep session. So I can't wait to have this conversation with you today. So why don't we start like we do with all of our first time guests? Just take a moment, give the audience a little bit of your background, tell the story of your career and kind of what led you up to doing what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you as you mentioned, the last two decades have been full of a bunch of different roles. Um throughout uh, all those years, I uh, working in and on businesses, um, ultimately had an incredible amount of hard work, failure, uh, family squabbles, data, leadership, all sorts of failure, uh, failed acquisitions, failed growth, you name it. Um, but no matter the role that I had, uh, all of the growth stage technology companies, which is where I focused, all seemed to struggle with the same things, the same obstacles towards growth and value creation. Um, and they all seem to hit similar inflection points around growth. And so ultimately, um, there, there was this commonality um, and this, uh, this, this drive that, that was always kind of instilled in me around growth stage companies and how to really improve a methodology around helping them succeed. Um, so as I kind of navigated my way through about 45 uh, investments or buy side transactions, wow. few exits, a bunch of value, um, and a lot of failures again, uh, it really kind of instilled in me as I worked the last decade or so with my co-founder now at Orchid Black, Orchid Black Stephen Horowitz, um, that there had to be a better way to get to these successes versus just having to live through all the failure, right? There, was, there had to be some stories and some methodologies and some data-driven focused initiatives that could help companies succeed in a more meaningful and data-driven way and, and ultimately become worth so much more uh, in the process. And so, you know, really spent a lot of time with Steven uh, dialing in on the data from the companies we had worked with from other companies to see, you know, what were the commonalities of making these companies worth so much more um, and we've developed a methodology. Our clients kind of call it miracle grow for tech companies, if you will. Uh, but we just call it plain cracking the code on value creation and growth. Um, where at the end of the day, we're looking to help founders and companies um, succeed without having to experience all the failure along the way. And uh, that's, that's really uh, what we're doing today at Orchid Black is working with companies, technology companies specifically in their growth stage to navigate those obstacles and execute alongside of them. And we're having a blast. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you're speaking my language because I've like, all right, use the data and find patterns about what's been successful. You've had all of these opportunities to go through it. You're looking at it. You're trying to figure out what, what separates that. I can think of so many different contexts and what that kind of analysis has led to great results. And so it is, it's, I mean, it, it seems like something that would obviously 
um, you know, help. How difficult was that to find? Like, was it was it staring <laughs> you in the face or was that something where like, wow, the, we did not expect this? You know, as as most things that are um, super comprehensive yet need to be simplified are, um, there were some things that were staring us in the face, uh, but most things uh, just took time to analyze and form commonalities around and ultimately uh, leverage in the context of whatever use case we were we were driving with a company. Um, but at the at the core of it, we knew that there needed to be an objective lens to view a company's full potential, um, and that there was nothing in the market that looked at a company in, in its growth stage from a 360 perspective. Um, but that challenge was really, uh, really our challenge uh, at the end of the day was to create something uh, comprehensive yet simple. And uh, these you know, founders and, and growth stage companies cannot pay a million dollars for an army of McKinsey or big three or big four consultants, right? right? They also can't wait months or years to get to the answer. And so we needed to find a way to be able to get to that answer within a few weeks. Um, and, and ultimately something that was as cost effective as possible. Um, and the answer ended up lying into something that I'm sure you'd, you'll love the, the description around, which is a value creation assessment, a data-driven assessment of any technology company in its growth stage that we find. And mm -hmm. although we look at thousands of data points, right? Um, although we focus on a number of pain points that connect to those, um, Ultimately, there are a number of commonalities that allow us to pinpoint the primary um, opportunities for value creation in a data-driven way, and then work backwards from there to really spend a lot of time getting, sorry, not spend a lot of time, really spend a lot of energy and focus getting founders and companies to focus on doing the right things at the right time based on where they're at. Um, and so that's kind of become our what, right? Our uh, our VCA, our value creation assessment has become our what to diagnose companies. And then our team has become the how with the playbook that we've developed and our team of experienced operators who will not only you know, give you the recommendations, but also help companies execute against them because ultimately everyone needs to be hands-on in an early stage business. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, so there's so many questions that I have right now. All right. <laughs> so the the um, the first. Okay. So the first question was one that I just want to I want to level set for the audience out there is when you talk about growth stage companies, what exactly do you mean by growth stage companies? What 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 constitutes a growth stage company? The way that we constitute a growth stage company is a company that has at least three million dollars in revenue. So they've shown some focus around product market fit or that they've, they've been able to drive some foundational revenue into the business. Um, Three million is a number that we picked based off of, you know, what makes the most sense for our methodology and our team to work in. But ultimately, growth stage is when you're in that stage where you've validated some foundational revenue points, you've gotten the point to, uh, you know, what we would call product market fit. And you're now focused on driving efficiencies into the business that are helping it take, you know, getting it to the next level, essentially. Um, and so, um, you know, our our method is working with companies be that are starting between three million and fifty million, so not too late stage, not too early stage, mm -hmm. um, and companies that um, are typically struggling to take the business to the next level beyond that initial uh, product market fit. 
Right. So in, in the analysis that you're doing, mm -hmm. is it largely a financial analysis or how do you fold in kind of that, the magic side of, of what the organization actually is doing and what their potential is? Because that I imagine that's not always evident from financial analysis. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely not always evident from financial analysis, although financial analysis is a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you see before I get to your question, you'll see as you as you analyze the growth stage company landscape where, you know, a lot of different stakeholders play private equity, venture capital, right, general consultants, a lot of different folks. Ultimately, there's a lot of commonalities on focusing on the financial aspect, right? Mm -hmm. What we were unable to find in the marketplace and why we really knew we just needed to start Orchid Black was there was nothing that looked at it from a 360 view, right? Mm -hmm. So there's as you're building a business, you create a strategy, right? You hire talent to that strategy. That talent develops a product or service, right? That product or service drives revenue. And then there's operations that are so supporting the company. Well, Financial analysis is really focused on only the bottom two, operations and revenue, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's, you have your financial statements, right? You have your general focus around growth and, and your growth plan for, from a metric-driven perspective, where you're focused and your quality of revenue, things like that. But what about all the other elements in a company that are driving value, that are driving value mm -hmm. creation, and most importantly, that are driving either alignment or misalignment around a plan? Um, and that's where we focus. We focus on strategy, talent, product, revenue, and operations, right? Not just operations and revenue. And by doing that, we're able to really look at the transferable value that a company can have, whether it's going to be transferable to an acquirer or just transferable as we're looking at it from a market perspective of where the biggest opportunity for these companies to grow is. And so that's really what the fundamental basis around it is, is it's a 360 angle because Talent is just as important, just as important as strategy, which is just as important as revenue. Different, different mm -hmm. elements and different focuses at different stages of a business, of course, but all are very important towards understanding where the company should be positioned and also what the company needs to do going forward from an alignment and then a growth perspective. And so that's really the difference is it's well beyond just financial analysis. It's looking at you know, everything in the business that's driving where the financial analysis is at. That that's what gets us just really amped up around <laughs> driving growth within businesses. If you can't tell, <laughs> yeah, no, I I, and I I love your passion for this. I can tell that it's it's something that you know you're you're very into, which I I can totally appreciate and and relate to. Um, you know, so for for the data management people out there, I have to ask you. So the, the you know you're talking about companies that start at, at $3 million in revenue or, or, you know, what have you. And, and to be fair, I've worked with $3 billion revenue companies that had far more of their business on spreadsheets than they should have had. Um, I know that a lot of small mid-market organizations have not necessarily the most robust uh, data capture and data management um, systems or, or processes internally. Um, how do you compile this information like how do you get and even figure out how to make some sort of apples to apples comparison so you can plug in a methodology i it's just like yeah in my mind it feels like they're all wildly different what how do you do that so let me just walk you through a use case that that might really make it really make it evident so um we were called into a software company 
by a founder who had bootstrapped for about a decade and built uh, an amazing business, quite frankly, but was starting to flatline. Uh, he wanted to exit within the next year or so and spend his time doing other things like advising other startups, enjoying life more than he had traditionally on the personal side, um, a number of things. But ultimately, mm -hmm. because he had very low new logo growth, very low growth across the board, actually, um, the valuation that he got offered in the market was nowhere near what he expected. Um, he had tried uh, you know, his usual ideas to generate sales, um, but it, things just weren't working like they used to. And so his next 12 month forecast, as he looked at it, um, was only making think matters worse, right? Um, if he was not growing and he was spending more money to try to grow, ultimately, you know, his growth was lower and his profitability was lower as well. And so, um, you know, he was recommended by one of his advisors to bring in Orchid Black to help. Um, we ran our, our value creation assessment process on the company in a couple weeks. And um, ultimately, uh, that, that process was super important and fundamental towards uncovering a number of things. Um, we did a customer analysis that helped him really understand who his customer was because it had evolved since the last time that he had done one. Um, there was a lot of things, a lot of areas of opportunity, like pricing and, and areas of, of growth, tangential market growth even, that, were, that we were able to take advantage of simply by finding and un understanding who this customer base had become uh, and common attributes within that customer base. Um, he had not really taken a look at market opportunities aside from the one that he was serving. There were tangential market opportunities that we could take advantage of as well. Um, and so, you know, between these items um, and, um, you know, his, his, his excitement, if you will, um, coming out of that VCA process, our team was kind of dropped in almost as a SWAT team of growth, if you will, um, for the next seven months. And over that seven-month period of time, we actually increased the value of that business by 55%. Now, that didn't mean growing the business by 55%, but the valuation of that business was increased by 55% because we, number one, grew the business. We, number two, focused on areas of the opportunity that were beyond just revenue growth. And number three, because we had all this data at our fingertips, which we leverage in, you know, kind of some formulaic IP that we've developed, right? It's not just, you know, throwing data out there and, and data entry. It's, it's leveraging best practices and, and IP that's been developed over the years. Um, but ultimately, you know, using these analyses, using this VCA process, we were able to help him win big, <laughs> which, is, which is why founders, you know, one of the reasons that founders, aside from the mission, go out to start businesses in the first place is to win big and create legacy and do really fun things and create meaningful things for lots of people. Um, yeah. And so um, ultimately, you know, the, 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 the intake process of that, you know, of that VCA was similar in some ways to due diligence, but expanded beyond typical due diligence that made it much more operational and, and measurement driven than a typical due diligence process would be. And so mm -hmm. it was, um, you know, it's, it's just a really exciting, uh, it's really exciting seeing some of these founders, there's their eyes open to their own businesses. Um, the same way that, you know, you get excited when anyone's learning something new and you get excited about the opportunity that, that that's uncovered through learning. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, that's that's just what gets me amped up to wake up in the morning. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Do do you guys always work for the growth firm themselves, or do you sometimes work for acquiring firms that are looking for 
you know, the, the, the diamonds in the rough of these organizations that just need to capitalize on it and, and, you know, evolve their business a bit, but there's, there's opportunity there too. Yeah. Once in a while we'll, we'll, um, work for a private equity firm or venture capital firm, um, or, or an acquiring firm that's looking to analyze potential investment opportunities. Um, but that those are typical, you know, cash for service fee engagements. That that's mm -hmm. not what we why we do what we do, right? Our business yeah. model hinges on our ability to increase value within these companies. And so, you know, what we love to do, and and why we do things direct in almost every aspect of what we do is, we put our money where our mouth is around <laughs> value creation. We will take right. the majority of our fees as something that's aligned. It's aligning our incentives to the company's performance, right? Typically, equity or you know some sort of coverage to have um, a, a a standing in the business or percentage of sales, right? Something that's aligned with what we're driving from a growth perspective, um, and and that we found that the best way to do that is just to do things direct, have as as minimal outside influences as possible because it is such a sensitive engagement, it's such a sensitive sensitive relationship, if you will. And um, really putting the founders' uh, priorities in the middle of it rather than mm -hmm. another firm's. Yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with you know financial transactions, that's always going to be an emotional thing anyway. But on top of this, you're dealing with people's life's work and their legacy. Yeah. Um, when you intertwine all of that, it is as emotional and as as sensitive as it gets and yeah. and on top of that you have the different people that are already working at the organization and the various stakeholders and the customers and, and all of that it is it is under the best of circumstances a uh tricky uh road to to travel and and so that is um you know that's that's certainly something that that you have to manage but what's what's interesting to me and and one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is this notion of alignment of incentives. And and that's something where I think a lot of consulting out there tends to have, you know, built in conflicts of interest, let alone, you know, misaligned incentives. But what I like about your business model is that you do have that alignment of incentives where like, if you are successful in helping this organization do things, you're going to benefit, the client organization is going to benefit, and the acquiring firm is going to actually have a better risk understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, to me, that's when business is at its finest, when when really everybody stands to benefit who's involved in that transaction. And, and that I think yeah. is, is the right way of going about this. And that's something where, you know, for folks out there that aren't really necessarily in the space, but are thinking about these kinds of things, Think about how can you in your business and whoever your customers are, how can you align those incentives in a way where you're growing that pie as opposed to trying to divvy up that pie and, and get the better of your client? Like that to me is just no way to live. So I appreciate yeah. your guys' uh, um, approach to this because I do think like to your point earlier, you know, these organizations can't hire the McKinsey's of the world to advise them. And, you know, they don't have the armies of lawyers most likely. And like, it's, it's just, they need help and they need skills that like your organization has built from many transactions there this might be the one transaction they do mm -hmm. so it's 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 definitely an, an interesting avenue to think about even if we you know many of us may never need this or or you know may need this once in in our careers right so yeah. one question that i have is yeah. 
does the nature of what the leadership of the organization is looking to do, um, whether it's to you know exit or whether they're just trying to get additional funding or if they're trying to just get a valuation for other purposes like that, sometimes that's useful just in of itself, even if you don't do a transaction, does that change your recommendations or is what makes it good for one what makes it good for another? It absolutely changes our recommendations. Um, most of the businesses that we engage with are looking to exit within the next three years. Most of the mm -hmm. founders that we're that we're engaging with, um, and so there's typically an exit on the horizon, whether that's in in six or seven months, like the example that I gave, or mm -hmm. in three years. Um, either way, um, that's a major difference. <laughs> and and so you know, thinking on the six to seven month side, right? It's more about cleanup fundamentals, getting, making sure that the business is not discounted for any major problems in the business, making sure to elevate and, and, and really position the company for exit. Um, on the three-year side, it's, it's time. It, it, there's a lot more ability to focus on growth first um, mm -hmm. and you know, areas of long-term growth alongside of that versus simply packaging something for an exit. And so um, you know, regardless of growth, uh, regardless of exit timeline, if you just take out Orchid Black from the equation of what a business is just generally looking to do, there is always a, a number of option, a number of options, right? Optionality, if you will, um, around what timeline, what level of investment, right? What what area of opportunity and risk is going to be um, their data-driven roadmap, if you will, towards success and. One path is not typically the only path, right? There's the most costly path. <laughs> there's the long, <laughs> longest timeline path, right? And then there's a, num there's a number of different things that, that will drive that optionality. But it is always and always should be the founder's interests in mind rather than an outside individual or an outside firm, which is why we are so focused on founder goals, founder, folk, founder initiative, right? And ultimately setting the founder up for a successful outcome on the other side of, you know, an exit in our case. Right. I'm curious, and because you talked a little bit about uh, how this, um, how this corresponds or, or compares to like due diligences. And, mm -hmm. and I've always had this thing in the back of my head is that I've, I've seen how due diligence efforts work. And I've always felt like they, they overlook how well an organization works with data. Like, do they have reasonable processes? Like you, you can often get like technology infrastructure as part of that and like things that are a little bit more tangible, but something yeah. like, do they have reasonable data quality in what they're doing? I often see are not even articulated in, the, in a due diligence. Do you, do you get into any of that or do you factor in any of that? Or is it just too difficult in the kind of timeframes that you work with uh, to be able to, to actually assess? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge part of what we look at. Um, in fact, one of the, I, I reckon exactly what you're, what you're mentioning, right? Um, I, uh, I spent about a year in the venture capital world prior to Orchid Black and um, a little bit different of a, of a problem set, but you know, what, the main problem I had was we were always looking for our next unicorn, our next billion dollar company, our next hundred mm -hmm. X mm -hmm. investment. And, and um, that puts a stress on, uh, on a number of things. Number one, um, it, it focuses so much on the upside, on that hundred X upside that you ignore things that are gonna make it a 10 X versus a one X. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two, um, it focuses on infusions of capital to accelerate growth prior to validating that a company is ready for growth. Um, and 
that's why 95, 96, I think, percent of technology companies that have raised capital fail. That's a big, that's a big that's number, enough. right? And so um, if we focus on not only investor interest, but also founder interest, you start looking at things like, is the, is the business sustainable for growth? And you can only find that through data. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, you start looking at things like, how are the operational processes within the organization uh, capturing data from a single point of entry and making things as seamless as possible to leverage as few uh, team members as possible, right? Things that ultimately right. translate to financial value, but at the stage that you're looking at them may or may not be uh, reflected on, on, on any of the financial statements. Um, it will be eventually, but when you backtrack it towards operational um, excellence, if you will, that's where, that's where we come in, right? We focus mm -hmm. on helping companies not just grow fast, but also grow smart. Um, and typically in venture capital and also in many cases, the private equity model, Companies are, are, are sacrificing growing smart for growing fast, and eventually that catches up to you. Um, you're ultimately you know, wasting a lot of capital, and founders are getting diluted on their own cap tables because of how much capital they're needing to raise due to that strategy in many cases. And so the model in many cases is flawed. Um, there's a time for venture capital money. There's a time you know, for not, um, but it's over leveraged in a lot of cases to be driving the wrong results, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Which again, is why so many uh, software companies end up failing. Um, so, you know, that mantra, grow smart and grow fast is something that um, I really uh, focus on, we really focus on as a company, and um, I think was a, a real gap in the marketplace. Yeah, well, it's 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 really interesting to hear this from your perspective being in the space because I've I've dabbled a little bit, but but mostly I'm just projecting, and and it's it's interesting to to hear that because I do think that your ability to work with data as an organization who is poised for rapid growth, you know, it is a bit of a canary in the coal mine. If you don't use data well, your operational processes across the board are probably struggling. Yeah. Like if you don't know your own technology, I've worked with with organizations that were software firms that had grown really quickly, but as I partnered with them or did consulting work for them, I learned that they had architecture underneath their snazzy user interfaces that was antiquated, like decade old and, and way behind where the technology curve would be, but they would still be billing themselves as, as cutting edge. You realize, hey, they put all of their energy into the flash and not enough into the substance. And mm -hmm. you didn't know if they would ever get back to that because it was like they were addicted to that that high growth mentality, but didn't want to do the work. And that's yeah. when I see that, that's really concerning. I imagine you have examples, similar examples where, where what you thought you were going to find as you looked underneath the covers, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. Cause there, is there anything you can share? I don't want you to name any names or anything, but like, yeah. do you have any stories of things that really surprised you that you only found from digging into the data and understanding it and, and then kind of chasing where that trail led you? Yeah, I mean, almost almost all examples in in many cases, because it's one thing to be the expert, but it's it's another thing to let data drive that expertise and then you know apply that expertise and on on top of the data, right? And so mm -hmm. I think you know one area um, that is probably the biggest commonality um, of of confusion within a lot of these growth stage companies is if my revenue isn't growing, I've got a sales problem, right? Um, and 
both as an operator, sometimes even as a consultant, and certainly as an investor as well. I've I've seen that you know that story a number of times, right? One one perfect example is a company that was throwing you know several million into uh, into their sales team, right? And their sales hmm. team was a bunch of seasoned veterans, um, you know, and there was there was no doubt across the board that this sales team was going to turn the organization around. Well, as we started to look at it um, during our initial VCA process, and we got engaged to figure out what to do with the sales team, um, we found out pretty quickly through data that it was a number of other things prior to getting to sales that was driving the lack of growth. Um, market positioning was was not spot on from a messaging perspective. So we're talking, we were, had not focused on the niche that we had created throughout the years, or the company was not focused on the niche that they had created throughout the years. And they were focused on too many different personas, too many different stakeholders, too many different end customers where nobody actually understood what they did. Um, and so that was then driving the wrong leads, which marketing in many cases, you know, call them marketing qualified leads, was saying these are ready for the sales team. Um, ultimately, they were not because they had not raised their hand for what we were actually able to offer them. And so when the sales team would get engaged, you know, they would they would not th these qualified leads qualified leads would not go anywhere. And so everyone in the organization was just blaming sales, right? These these amazing sales guys should be doing better prospecting. They should be, do, be doing better selling. And and the final part of that is that the, if you have the right sellers in the organization, you are compensating them very well, if you way too well, if they're prospecting as well. Sellers should not be mm -hmm. doing their own prospecting. Sellers should be focused on closing deals because that's what you hired them to do in the first place. Right. And so- if you if you have the right methodologies in place that lead towards sales, right? If you have the right structure, the right data driven uh, methodology, if you will, best practices, you've got a system in place where sales is getting it once it's already qualified. And so, due to poor positioning, right? Due to poor messaging, and due to a disconnect between marketing and sales around what a true qualified lead or qualified opportunity is. Um, there was a, a, a number of things that we needed to end up applying first, focusing on first, before we ended up, you know, right-sizing the sales team. That, that that's really interesting, and 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 it gets me thinking too because it's not just a sales problem, but it's it's a business strategy problem, and this is something that like, I got to get on my soapbox yeah. for a moment because that <laughs> is. Like, I'm so tired of seeing organizations that were very successful doing something, offering something in the marketplace, and then they grow to a certain size, and it's like they can't be bothered with what made them great in the first place, and they want to go do something like everybody else in the industry who's not as successful as they are, because yeah. it's easier, it's like, you know, oh, they see other valuations or something like that, it's like, like, stick with what you're good at, stop trying to be everybody else, but it seems like you see that constantly, like, I mean, I, I just have to admit right now, like I do this podcast half as therapy, right? Like I'm just <laughs> kind of like, I have to vent about some of these things because it drives me nuts. Like just you, you've got a magic thing here happening with the growth of your business. Don't give up on what's made you unique to be like everybody else. And, and that yeah. I imagine comes up more, way more than it should from, from your, your particular perch. Oh, it happens all, all the time, whether it's not nailing your niche initially or not sticking to your niche eventually, right? Because mm. um, you, 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 you know, you absolutely know that the right thing to do is, is stick to it, right? If you look at another company, 
you'll be able to tell if they're not sticking to it. But in your own company, you know, for your own clients, you, you try to take advantage of what you find at some point on your journey for some reason. You, and you need a strategy to make sure you don't do that and a focus to make sure you don't do that, right? Yeah. Um, when you're the business owner, you oftentimes end up looking past it, right? You, you know, again, you know other companies can't do it. Apple doesn't sell actual apples or swimwear. Steakhouses don't sell organic food lines, right? Um, but when it comes to ourselves, we ignore this intellectual honesty, this intellectual understanding of sticking to our lane. And so, um, and it's largely because we want to help people, right? And we want to turn prof turn more profitable or grow faster. But, you know, we end up doing none of those things. In fact, we end up doing the opposite by not sticking to our niche. And you don't realize that in the moment, unless you've got something, a strategy to and, and checkpoints to make sure that you're really sticking to your gun, sticking to your niche. Um, I've, I've got hundreds of examples probably <laughs> around that because there's, that's always uh, almost always a, a pain point or a focus in, in almost all of our engagements, whether it's a $3 million company or a $50 million company. And it starts with really dialing on, on that, that popular pain, that recurring pain that need to have that, mm -hmm. that, 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 uh, that aspirin rather than the vitamins that you're seeing along the way. Um, yeah. right. The things that made you get to this point in the first place. And so, you know, beyond that pain, connecting to that and sticking to that is everything. And companies just, you know, seem to lose their way at some point on their journey if they're not careful. Yeah. And, and I think there, you make a good point in there too. It's like, you want to help people. And so yeah. you want to be accommodating. And that is that slippery slope away from your core business because you're trying to do well. I, I talk sometimes about, you know, just because you mean well and you, and you intend a certain thing doesn't mean it happens. You don't, you like, you're, you have to actually achieve what you're shooting to do, not just intending to achieve what you're, what you're shooting to do. And, and that yeah. is, is a very difficult thing when you're not removed enough sometimes from it. Like to your point that the intellectual honesty is really difficult when you're in the fray, when you're in the middle of it all, it's very hard sometimes to know what direction you it need is. to go. It's like, like getting lost in the forest. It is really, um, you know, it's easy for us, to, you know, it's easy for me to judge, oh, you know, you've got to have better strategy. You got to stay in your lane and, and you got to invest in those things. But it is also very difficult. And, and I imagine like you're able to, to pinpoint where organizations do that because you bring in a more objective perspective from the outside. And this is actually something true of, of consulting in general is that yeah. they often can see things that seem obvious once they're said, but impossible to know until then. And yeah. that's, that's where it, it really, really makes a difference. And, and I think your, your business is especially well suited to doing that because I think the kind of analysis that you're doing and the, and the kind of approach that you're taking is often not going to be anything like what the leadership of those businesses are accustomed to doing themselves. No, typically not at all. And, and I think even more so um, given the, the recent things that we've seen around COVID-19 and 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 the looming recession as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. But but what's crazy is that um, history has shown that some of the most, some of the best, most resilient companies, and ultimately the most impactful, were born out of crises like these, and new solutions mm -hmm. were born out of crises like these. And and so um, when we look at a business, right, we're we're not only focused on that growth, but on that lean, efficient operation that's going to weather things along those lines. Um, and what's what's so cool, though, as, as it relates to both, you know, 
the the opportunities that present themselves in in times like these as well as um that 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 outside perspective is that great opportunities always emerge during uncertain times like these, tumultuous times like these right it is it is these downturns can work incredibly well um to create new strategies and 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 do new things that are that are strategic right towards the business mm -hmm. Problem is when the business is doing it itself, it often is not looking at the strategic angle. It's looking at the in the business opportunity to then move towards a different route around, you know, an opportunity that presents itself with one customer or an opportunity that mm -hmm. presents itself um, with with one prospect. Um, when we're looking at it, right, and when we're focused on these creative problem solving, these these new opportunities and new strategies for the business, we're able to absolutely, to your point, look at it from the outside lens. And, and focus on sticking to their knitting, right? Sticking mm -hmm. to their knitting and focusing on the market opportunity, not just the customer or prospect opportunity. Where are we able to take advantage of what's happening in the external environment to be able to take this company to the next level? And that, mm -hmm. is, that, is, that is something that is probably the, the most fun, I think, that our team has in, in, in driving these new strategies and then showing companies how they can d be innovative, right? Mm -hmm. Do new things, but make sure that that all ties back to the strategic value of your customer and where you're focused on growing and exiting your business. And that's, that's, that's really, that's really the fun part about <laughs> the consulting lens, if you will. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it makes sense because you're, you're dealing with whatever the circumstances are, like in our, in our pandemic situation, you're advising these businesses and you're not dealing with timeframes where you can wait and try to time the market until the market comes back. Like these are, these are decisions that are going to happen. And the best thing you can do is just deal with whatever you're surrounded by market wise at that time. So it's, it's, you know, three years. Yeah. You know, maybe you have a little bit of timing option there, but, but, most of these you probably don't. And even three years is probably not a long enough to wait for an entire economic cycle that can last, you know, a decade or more. And so, um, so it's interesting to think, okay, given what we know market wise, how do we optimize what you're doing in the context that we are currently in, which, which evolves over time. And that makes me wonder, like, how has your business from a, the way you do your work been impacted by like the the COVID-19 pandemic and and is it has it made it harder or easier or it just simply changed how you go about doing the work that you do because I imagine that under normal quote-unquote normal circumstances you'd probably want to have some like physical evaluation like with a due diligence you're going to send a team out and you're going to walk the halls and talk to people get a get a sense of that atmosphere uh, today that's that's not probably very possible so mm -hmm. how, how do you cope with that? Uh, you know, we're fortunate that we live in and focus on technology companies. Um, so mm -hmm. most of our clients are already more online, more remote, more creative, more agile than the competition, if you will, um, or than most markets, if you will. And so um, that that's one thing we did. We did and do have in our favor. Now, that being said, right, um, our, our, our connection to the external environment is still just as much out there and our connection yeah. to um needing to needing to feel and, and get a sense of how things operate beyond the remote atmosphere is incredibly important and so um a few things number one um we really 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 did i say really really <laughs> focus on um team cohesiveness and the ability to operate remote right and and the ability to not only have that that remote operability but also um, the systems in place to to drive um, 
the, to, to drive general operational effectiveness and efficiencies in in the business beyond um, beyond that remote environment. So are these companies, you know, leveraging the team in a more meaningful way as it relates to offsite retreats, right? Or mm. you know, are they focused on doing having these re- re- virtual virtual get-togethers to give people the feeling of, of connectivity so that they're not having a bunch of people quit because they have this lack of uh, connection to the rest of the team once they're onboarded, right? Do they have the right onboarding systems in place? Do they, do they really focus on, on team building as a general philosophy um, beyond just you know, individual leadership? And so there's all these things that, that come to play as we're, as we're looking at and evaluating teams and, and processes. And I would say that because of how focused we've always been on uh, remote teams, on, on, on teams that are able to operate in an environment that, that could be signaled by you know, today's existing environment, um, it wasn't as much of a change for us in our operating um, as we looked at you know, the, the looming recession or COVID-19 altogether. Um, it was just a, a, a tilt on the lens that made it incredibly focused, incredibly uh, uh, a, a much more uh, larger focus for us than simply it had been before. Um, so it's it, it's it's certainly a lens that we'd always look through, but it definitely honed in on that lens, uh, snipered in on that lens, if you will, um, as we uh, as we entered COVID nineteen. Sure. Um, yeah. No. That's 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 really interesting. And and so we only have a few minutes left. And and one of the questions that I would have is is do you have advice that is generally applicable? Because I imagine a lot of your work becomes very specific about what individual organizations should do in, in the technology space, especially in terms of, of growing valuation. But do you have some good rules of thumbs that that uh, entrepreneurs that are listening or, or watching this could start to think about and start doing? And and then when the time is right, when they're looking to, to make an exit, they could uh, you know give you a call at, at Orchid Black to to you know, amplify that, but I got to imagine there's, there's some things that they should be thinking about all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try to try to keep it focused on not just the business level, but the individual as well, as well. So, Hmm. um, number one, uh, nail and focus on your niche we talked about, right. And this translates to as an, as an individual and at the company level, focusing on what you're great at and what you can bring to the world. Number two, um, learn how to attract and retain the right talent into your company and into your life. Um, because even as a founder, personal mindset and personal growth matter just as much as business growth if you're going to grow your business. That might sound silly, but it is 100% true because founder burnout is a real thing if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, focus on improving yourself, not just your team, your company, other people. Right, sticking to that last thing I said around the attraction and retention of talent, um, evolve your own leadership competencies um, and your own personal development. Um, get do things like get an executive coach. Um, I'm a firm believer that every uh, founder, every leader needs a coach. Um, it is something that uh, seems in, insane until you get one and until you see the development and the progression of your own competencies in your own life. Um, and so those three things I would say are kind of the, the core to everyone. Uh, nail and focus on your niche. Number two, uh, attract and retain the right talent into your company and life. And number three, focus on improving yourself, personal development, um, including you know, getting, getting a coach. I've had a number of different failures, a number of different successes along all three of those, uh, but ultimately all are incredibly important no matter your role and no matter you know, your industry. 
I think that I think that's wonderful advice, and and that's something that I think many of us uh, should really take to heart and 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 move forward with. I think the the coaching piece is is certainly something that. Um, Many of us probably think uh, in the back of our head, well, that we probably should think about doing that, and and you know, many don't, and and that's something that I think most of us should. So, uh, great advice. And unfortunately, uh, this has flown by. We're out of time. Um, Jim, thank you so much for for joining us today and and sharing your wisdom with us. This has been great. You bet, you bet. And always remember, data is your friend. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And thank you all for watching or listening today. You'll find more information in the show notes please remember to follow Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review and tell others about us. Learn more about data leadership with my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code AlgmanDL at the Dataversity Online Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 